0: This morning, self-driving cars under intense scrutiny after police say an Uber using the technology hit and killed a woman in Tempe, Arizona. That is a clip from Good Morning America from March of last year discussing the death of Elaine Hertzberg, the Arizona woman who became the first person to be killed by an autonomous vehicle. If you remember this story at all, it's because it was seen as a watershed moment for self-driving car technology. The coverage that followed was all about Uber and companies like it, which are trying to bring robots to American roads. Police are still figuring out who was at fault, but there are serious questions now because this was part of Uber's pilot program to see whether this works at all. But what about the other side of that accident? What about people like Elaine Hertzberg who are killed while walking? Their deaths don't usually even make the papers, let alone warrant a segment on the national news because they don't involve a buzzy new technology. But an epidemic is underway. The pedestrian death toll is up by 50% in the past decade. 6,200 people every year are killed on foot in the United States. It's an astonishing number. Multiply the number of U.S. military who have died during the 18-year war in Afghanistan by two and a half. That's how many pedestrians are killed walking in the United States every single year. So now that you're... Writing this book, do you just do you walk around thinking about the potential <laughs> impact value of um, the various cars that, that, that surround you in the same way that someone else might, you know, look at a, a weapon? I mean, are you seeing cars as a weapon now?
1: All the time. That's so funny that you bring that up.
0: This is Angie Schmidt. She's a writer for Streets Blog, a news site that covers walking, biking, transit and street design. She's also working on a book about the thousands of Americans who get killed by cars every year which is why I wanted to give her a call.
1: So I, I walk my kids, I have two young kids, I walk them to school every day. I, I walk for most of my daily trips. And while I'm walking now, I just obsess about the cars and every car I'm looking at and I'm analyzing that, analyze like the interior space, how high the grill is, definitely those kinds of things.
0: Why has the death toll risen by 50% in the past decade? And why doesn't anyone talk about it or seem to want to do anything about it? Today on the show, Angie Schmidt is going to walk me through her reporting and where it goes from here. I'm Henry Grabar, filling in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us.
1: This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person, Anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: Hi, Angie. Thanks for coming on What Next?
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: It sounds like this is a phenomenon that has been underreported or not reported at all.
1: There's sort of a blind spot in the United States, I think, for um, traffic deaths in general. You know, a lot of the news stations will report about gun deaths. They'll have pretty alarming data about gun deaths. And they'll say now they're the second leading cause of death. And the first leading cause is traffic collisions. And everyone just sort of accepts that. And um, this is sort of the same. There has been some more reporting about it recently, but a lot of it has been pretty bad, in my opinion.
0: What makes it bad?
1: One thing that's kind of frustrating, um, NBC News I saw just recently did this, is they'll report there's been a big increase in pedestrian deaths, and then they'll just sort of make a guess about why. And often their guesses aren't very well supported by data, and often, even worse, they sort of tacitly blame pedestrians for the problem like maybe they'll talk about distracted walking and distracted driving which NBC did do or drunk walking and um, that sort of makes it worse I think
0: because you're saying those don't seem to be the well supported causes of this epidemic why are people dying then
1: One of the best supported by the scientific evidence explanations is the increase of SUVs in the United States. In the last few years since we came out of the recession, SUVs have just been clobbering sedans in car sales. It's been a really, really dramatic change. So there's a lot more SUVs on the road and SUVs are more likely to kill pedestrians, two and a half more times more likely to kill pedestrians than cars.
0: You mean to say in a collision, A pedestrian is two and a half times more likely to die if the collision's with an SUV than with a car? Exactly. Angie's right about the SUV sales. American consumers have increasingly opted for vehicles that make drivers safer and pedestrians more vulnerable. More than 65% of new autos sold in the United States are pickups or SUVs, up from 49% a decade ago. According to an investigation by the Detroit Free Press and USA Today, the so-called SUV revolution is, quote, a leading cause of escalating pedestrian deaths nationwide. But that's happening at the same time as Americans continue to migrate to the booming southern cities that make up the Sun Belt, places like Phoenix, Nashville and Tampa.
1: So Smart Growth America ranks the most dangerous metro areas for pedestrians. 19 out of 20 are in the Sun Belt. There's the one exception is Detroit. Um. And six of the the top 10 are all in Florida. And as we see growth, like enormous growth in the suburbs of Dallas and Houston, instead of metros like Boston or San Francisco, that's bad for pedestrians.
0: Why are they so dangerous?
1: These Sunbelt metros that developed after the invention of air conditioning, most of their housing, most of their roads were built in sort of the height of the auto era in the United States. So very sprawling land use, very wide, fast roads. And um, they're really deadly for pedestrians.
0: Well, so why are people walking there at all? I mean, it it sounds like those are environments that were not designed for people to be walking at all.
1: I I think a lot of the, the conventional wisdom for a long time with urban leaders and with traffic engineers was If only a small number of pedestrians are going to walk here, it's not really worth considering them or designing for them. But if you look around when you're driving, even if you're in like the most hostile environment, if you're in South Florida, which is notorious, it's the most dangerous for pedestrians. They have all these arterial roads and they're very high speed. There'll be like two or three left turn lanes and pedestrians will get to these roads. The The vehicle speed is 40, 45 and they have to cross Six or seven lanes just across the road. It's just very hostile, very dangerous. Um, but even even in those areas, if you look around, you'll see you'll see pedestrians, you'll see bicyclists just sort of out there trying to survive. Um, and another thing is they're almost all crossing outside of crosswalks. About three quarters are crossing outside of crosswalks. It's people that are sprinting to their bus stop, you know, in Clayton County, outside Atlanta.
0: Well so why not cross at crosswalks? I mean I think the the devil's advocate response to that would be well that's unsafe behavior that these pedestrians are engaging in and they should have walked to the nearest crosswalk.
1: In, in a lot of a lot of these locations that are very dangerous, there just aren't crosswalks that are close enough together. In Phoenix there was some reporting by the newspaper down there the Arizona Republic and they found that the place people were getting killed was an average of like three-tenths of a mile from the nearest crosswalk. So in some cases, it's not that, wow, these pedestrians are just lazy. There really aren't crosswalks close enough to where they should be. They don't really have a safe option for crossing the street.
0: So you're asking someone to walk essentially a half mile to get to a place where it's safe to cross the street.
1: Right. People just won't do that.
0: High housing costs have pushed low-income Americans deeper into the suburbs. That means more people without cars living in places that were built for cars, and only cars.
1: There was a big stratification in our transportation system. We have a first-rate system for drivers. But if you don't have a car, the transportation system is really incomplete, hostile, and outright dangerous. So people who can buy a car, they can opt out of that. People who don't have a car, lower-income people, people of color... Um, recent immigrants, people who have a disability that requires they use a wheelchair or people who are using a wheelchair, they're also at increased risk.
0: I assume that that also plays into the reason that this is not something we hear about a lot, um, because the victims don't have money. They aren't well connected. Um, and as a result, it doesn't get the same kind of coverage.
1: Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, there, there's a script, almost, that the news reporters use. They often report on these deaths, but it's very it's very superficial. There'll only be a few sentences. They'll say, you know, so-and-so was killed on this road. And they might add, wasn't in a crosswalk, which sort of blames them. There's never, you know, was there a crosswalk nearby? Or have only any other people been killed on this road? It's very superficial, and it sort of points a finger back at the people who are getting killed. And I do think it is related to sort of their political and social clout.
0: Right. What would be your suggestion about how to repair these environments where uh, it must be said the vast majority of people get around in cars and so they are designed for cars. But as we have discussed, um, they are also used by pedestrians in ways that may not be immediately visible um, if you're going by 50 miles an hour.
1: I've been reading this book by this guy named Neil Arison, and he says, separate bicycles and pedestrians by time and distance. So distance is like pedestrians need sidewalks, right? And better yet, sidewalks that are separated from the street by at least a few feet and maybe some trees. So that's a way to separate pedestrians by distance. Um, But time is also important, and you can do that for almost no cost, and drivers might not even notice by retiming the the traffic lights, give pedestrians at least a head start so they have a little bit of time to cross where nobody's turning necessarily, or give them a whole signal phase, even better. But another thing that's really important is streetlights. And this has been really soft-pedaled, I think, by advocates, Um, I think in part because of their They're coming from more privileged perspectives. The places where they live have streetlights, but a lot of communities, a lot of the lower income communities, a lot of neighborhoods of color, they don't have those kind of basic infrastructure in place. And we know that about three quarters of pedestrian deaths happen at night. Visibility is a huge issue. So streetlights could make a big difference.
0: It sounds like you're saying that while there are more sophisticated ways to kind of get to the bottom of this epidemic, some of what's needed is so simple. I mean, we're talking about sidewalks, streetlights, crosswalks, what you would think of as the basics of an urban environment, these kind of minor expenses that just have not been deployed in some of these Sunbelt suburbs at all.
1: Right. I mean, the federal government hasn't done a good job stepping up, and paying for those kind of things. We're still geared towards building the interstate highway system. That's done now. But we have millions of miles of streets in our cities that are killing people that try to walk anywhere.
0: So a lot of cities, Have started to address this. There are uh, so-called Vision Zero plans based off something that was um, started in Stockholm a few years ago, where cities are are putting renewed attention or or say they are on protecting pedestrians and and cyclists uh, from automobiles. What do these plans consist of and are they working?
1: So I've been looking at the data in the U.S. really closely from some of the cities that have past Vision Zero plans, looking for a downward trend. They're starting to take this stuff kind of pretty seriously in places like Seattle and Portland and a handful of cities that are pretty progressive. And that's really encouraging. But the problem is in some of these other places, um, like Dallas, maybe like Miami, they, they, they're sort of going backwards.
0: How radical a change would we need to see in one of those cities for them to reach actually um, zero deaths over the course of a year?
1: Probably it would. there would need to be some fairly major changes. So London has done a lot more than New York, and London has about half the death rate. They're doing things like redesigning the cabs of their buses so they don't have any blind spots and they are banning certain commercial vehicles. All the tools in the box, they're sort of rolling out. They have congestion pricing, they have their um, ultra low emission zone where diesel cars can't even drive into a certain section of the city anymore without paying a steep fee. All these measures, they they have the added benefit of improving urban quality of life and they help the environment too. So uh, there's a lot of upside for cities of pursuing this.
0: Right. It's not just pedestrians. Reckoning with the costs of driving could be saving the lives of drivers and passengers. And you know, it wouldn't exactly hurt in the fight against climate change either.
1: Reporters can do all the good reporting in the world, but there's just not enough attention to the issue. I think it's considered boring, It's not a sexy issue. There's a lot of important issues that are competing for people's attention. I think right now there's a little more recognition in part because of urban cycling and sort of the return to cities movement. Um, a lot of people identify with this issue a little more. So maybe this will be a time in the next few years where we can take another big step forward.
0: Angie, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks
0: for having me. Angie Schmidt is a writer for Streets Blog. Look out for her book to be published by Island Press in 2020. And that's the show. I'm Henry Grabar. You can find me and send me feedback over on Twitter at Henry Grabar. This episode of What Next was produced by Samantha Lee. Thanks for listening. Drive safely.